Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So we're on the second week of a series called Doing Things God's Way. And um, we're spending most of our time in 1 Kings chapter 17 and chapter 18. And so if, you're, if you missed last week, or I'm just going to give you a quick refresher on what's going on before we read this passage of Scripture here tonight. So Solomon was a son of King David. And David has passed away. Solomon took over the kingdom. He, he ruled Israel for 40 years. And he passes away. And then a next string of leaders over Israel start to um, arise and, and take you know, their place in, in the kingdom or to reign over Israel. And all of them except one, Asa, is wildly wicked. And this goes on for decades and culminates into what the Bible refers to as the worst of the kings, King Ahab. And he turned the hearts of the people towards false gods, namely Asherah and Baal. He did this kind of on steroids because he married someone uh, named Jezebel, who was the daughter of, a, um, of one of the pagan priests of Baal. And so they have completely turned God's people to these horrible things. And um, Elijah was the prophet that God um, uh, sent to King Ahab and to Jezebel and to the children of Israel to tell them, hey, um, there's going to have to be some changes around here because you guys are taking my people away. So Elijah says there's not going to be any rain or dew on the ground for years. We, We learn later this is about three and a half years, 42 months. And um, Elijah, after delivering this word of God to King Ahab, runs and he hides. Uh, I shouldn't say runs. He follows the Lord's direction to go hide by a brook called Kareth. And he waits there and God provides supernaturally food for him. Ravens, like birds, come and bring him meat and food twice a day, morning and evening. He drinks from this brook and um, he has everything that he needs until one day the brook dries up. And when the brook dries up, he, um, uh, he then is instructed by the Lord to leave for a city called Zarephath. And that's where we're going to pick this up tonight. So decades of wicked rulers. The worst one is in there right now. He has delivered the word of the Lord. He is hidden by this brook. And now he's moved along because um, God has given him some instructions on what to do next. So let's pick. Now we kind of have some background right there. Let's pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 10 through 16. So he went to Zarephath. We're talking about Elijah here. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, uh, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I, only, um, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. Then me and my son will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do what you said, but make me a little bread first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. 
For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So he did, oh, so she did, as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. <clears throat> so there's a lot going on here, but there's three things that I, I want to draw out of this scripture for us this week um, in the series titled Doing Things God's Way. Okay, so we're going to start the first line of your notes. Number one here tonight is Doing Things God's Way requires submission requires submission it's really easy to blow past the first three words we just read on that passage so he went to Zarephath it's really easy to go oh well yeah he just went and it's really easy to blow past it because we think oh God said to do something and he just did it yes God gave him instructions and Elijah simply obeyed. That's the next line there in your notes. The Lord gave instructions and Elijah simply obeyed. Go to Zarephath, and Elijah went to Zarephath. Simple, not complex, but an action full of tremendous trust and submission, because here's why. That brook at Kareth was more than a hundred miles away from Zarephath. It was more than a hundred miles. He knew exactly where Zarephath was and he gets up from the place and moves and goes to the city. The other reason that I look at this and not just the distance of a hundred miles that he has to go, um, he has to walk to go from one spot to another. As I'm looking at, um, as I'm looking at this scenario that he's in, here he is, and he's looking around, and everybody is suffering in this drought. All the water is drying up. The watering holes are drying up. The grass is not growing so that the livestock aren't able to feed. Um, all the people aren't having their crops grow. Their crops are dying. They're, they're falling off. And what does he do? He, he is in this place where God is providing for him abundantly and miraculously. Uh, going down by the brook, um, at Kareth wasn't necessarily in Elijah's five-year plan. This wasn't something that he had said, oh, I'm going to spend an extended amount of time living outside under a tree by a brook and birds are going to bring me food. This was not in his plan. But if I'm him, I'm looking around at all the people around me and I'm going, this is not too bad. Everybody else is suffering. They're hot all the time. They're Cold, they're not able to find water anywhere. I got water here by the brook. These guys' food supplies are, are, are withering up and dying and drying out, and I've got food coming to me. So it's kind of hard to complain about the scenario he's in because God is giving him all this stuff. It was unorthodox, but in honesty, um, Elijah kind of had it good. So now you have Elijah being told, I want you to leave the place where I am providing for you miraculously and move on. Elijah did not build a house where he only needed a tent. And let me tell you what I mean by that. 
He didn't look at this scenario and go, I don't know how long it's going to last. It's going to be years. So I'm just going to build the house and stay here because, man, everybody else is struggling and I'm going to make this temporary thing kind of a permanent thing on my end. I want to stay here. He doesn't do that because he understands that pleasing the Lord and obeying him is of greater consequence than seeing the miracle that God's doing for him. Elijah doesn't look at him and go, well, God, you know, can't you just make the, the, the water run of the brook again? Can't you just make the water flow a little bit in here at the brook? This would be a lot better than making me walk uh, more than 100 miles to this next city. Nope, Elijah doesn't do any of that. He doesn't question. The next line of your notes, Elijah didn't argue. When the Lord spoke, he got up and left the place of miracles behind to obey the Lord. And I don't know if um, I can adequately describe the importance of that statement. There are many people in our culture today who say, man, I wish if God would just show up and, and show me a miracle, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. There'd be some justification of it. There'd be some thing, oh, some technology that we don't know about yet that you have. Somebody would make up some kind of answer and everyone wants to see the big miracle, right? But Elijah is turning his nose away at the miracle because he is pursuing obedience above everything else. Had Elijah stayed in the land of temporary provision, he would have risked starving. There's a place where God is going to direct us to go that is a stopping point onto another location. We have to trust him, submit to his will, and follow him along those lines. When the Lord instructs us to move on from a temporary place, even when he is providing for us there, it is for our benefit and to fulfill his purpose. I'm going to rip off one of my favorite preachers here. He's got a podcast I listen to a lot. And this next statement here in your notes, um, when it applies to this, uh, because I really think it applies to this message and to this point right here. Don't fall in love with the season. Fall in love with the God of the season. You can really like where you are at the moment. I kind of like my job, kind of like my career path. I kind of like where all this stuff is headed. I'm kind of liking the lifestyle it's been affording me. I like the comforts that have come here into, um, into my life because of the, 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 the place where I am right at this moment. And God's been providing. It was a miracle to get me in this job. It was a miracle to keep me here. It was a miracle. I, I've seen God's hand do all of these things. And it's really easy to get our focus off of God and onto what he has been providing. Why? Two of the hardest things for us as human beings are submission and serving. Two of the hardest things for us as human beings is submission and serving. It's like next line there on your notes. <clears throat> we would rather be the one in control and in charge. We would rather be the one who is directing all of the foot traffic of our life. We want to be in control. And our culture is one that pushes that idea on us. You be in control. You guide your own steps. You carve your own path. You go whatever way you want to go. You do whatever makes yourself happy. And God is asking us, you're going to do things your way? Or are you going to do things my way? 
because doing things God's way requires us releasing control, submitting to Him, and in submitting to Him, we are realizing that we are not the central point of our life. Everything doesn't revolve around us. Let me just sit with that one for a second. <laughs> Everything doesn't revolve around us. As we grow, as we mature, as we get closer to God, one of the things we're going to find out is that everything revolves around Him. He is the superstar of the movie and the director and the producer and the editor. He's the one fully in charge. And when he gives us direction, he is allowing us to play a role in his eternal blockbuster. It, that will be the number one grossing movie of all time. And what an honor that is. Can we just stop for a second and say and, and realize that when God is prompting us and leading us to do something, it's not because, oh, well, I got something to do and I got to follow the rules. No, it's because he has a role for us to play. And when we play that role, we are fulfilling his purpose in our life and the world. What would happen if we as God's people immediately and unselfishly submitted to the direction of Almighty God? What would it look like to not look at him and go, really? You want me to leave this spot and go to this spot? Woo! This is going to kind of jack with the thing I like so much. I like this environment. I kind of like the tropical vibe over here by the brook. And you want me to go to this city and meet some lady that I don't even know her name, who's a widow. She's a single mom. And uh, she's going to take care of me. She's going to provide for me. I, just leave me by the brook with the birds. Because I like the miracle working stuff going on all, all the time. But that's not what Elijah does. But that is what, that's what I do. Y'all are probably more spiritual than I am, but that's what I do. What would happen if, instead of next time me going, are you sure, God? What if I said, it would be an honor to do whatever you want and play a role next to you. Because if I'm going where he's leading, that means I am right by his side. That is the greatest place to be. Your self, your flesh, your, your, your selfish attitude would tell you, because it tells me, you stay in control and drive the train where you want it to go, and that's going to be fulfilling, but it's not. The most fulfilling place is in submission to Him and by His side. I'm not talking hypotheticals here, or interesting theories or philosophies. Our direction is simple. Move when God prompts us to move. Stop when God prompts us to stop. Move when God prompts us to move and stop when God prompts us to stop. 
See, submission is not just this thing that we go, oh yeah, to submit. It requires a decision and then us acting on the decision. I am going, I'm deciding right now to walk down this road where the Lord is leading me. I'm turning my back on this road, on this direction, on everything that I want. I'm going this direction. And as I go down this way, I can't go back down here. It reminds me of a old song that we would sing as kids. And if you know it, you can join in here with me to, um, to help. But it would go, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Submission is a decision to follow him. Second thing, number two on your notes. Doing things God's way requires sacrifice. Requires sacrifice. See, there is a price to serve God. What we would like to do and what our cultural churches have been very guilty of is being, let me tell you what you get for serving God. You're going to get saved? Tell them what's behind door number one. You're going to stay coming to church? You get behind what's door number two. And it's like this weird game show where we're like, what do I get from Jesus today? And in doing so, we create people who have an appetite to get instead of to give, instead of to sacrifice. There is a price to serve God. Unfortunately, when we talk about the word sacrifice and how I've heard it presented in light of this scripture, um, uh, tell me, I can probably tell by your reaction if uh, you've heard something similar to this. So I'll give you a little piece of the, how I grew up on this message of sacrifice and how it was pertained to this poor old lady giving bread to the prophet. Okay. It's like, all right, look, if you give what you've got first, you will never go without. If you just give the last little bit in your possession, the Lord will make sure that your flower, flower, your oil, oil will, will just will never run dry. You give a sacrificial seed offering in the plate as we pass it right now, which is remarkably coordinated, and just watch what the Lord does with your oil. Somebody shout, my oil, my oil. And the organ screams, and people are like, yes, my oil, give me oil, Jesus, right? Right? You guys are all laughing because either that's a really terrible impersonation or you've heard a similar message. It's probably both, right? It's probably both. People yelling, screaming, standing there with that face. Like that's really good. Like it stinks, but it's good. You know what I mean? Like Limburger cheese. It tastes good, but it smells bad. Um, That's how I heard this idea of sacrifice in the scripture presented to me most of my life. And it is one hundred percent false it's a hundred percent false because if that's what we are being taught to do we're being taught to give so that my oil won't run out i'm actually trying to get 
I'm not really giving. I'm not really sacrificing. I'm giving something and calling it a sacrifice because I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be without it for a couple months or a couple weeks or a couple days or an hour until God gives it back to me over here. So I'm going to give you my 10 bucks and I'm going to wait for my check for 10 grand over here. But that's transactional belief. Next on your notes, pursuing a transactional relationship with God is ultimately selfishness dressed in church clothes. Pursuing a transactional relationship with God is ultimately selfishness dressed in church clothes. I want. There is no sacrifice. I'm only letting go of this little bit because I'm promised that I'm going to get a whole bunch back. If that was true, why did the brook run out on Elijah? Why did the water stop flowing in the brook with Elijah? If that was true, why did the ravens not bring food to him anymore? I mean, he did much more than just bake a little piece of cake and hand it to someone. He went and was the oracle, the voice of God to the most wicked king. He risked his life walking into that room to tell him what God had put on his heart to relay the message he had given his life. He had given this word, this powerful, miraculous word to the king. And if he gave a lot more than this lady gave, if you put it on this transactional kind of scale, why did the water run out? If that is true, that you're going to give to God and he's always going to give you something back, if you just give a little bit to him right now and what you have will never run out, why did the water run dry? It's because that belief system is not true. That belief system is about changing our behavior. And what we've done over the last several months as a church throughout these series is there's been several things that we've learned, but one consistent theme, God is not only about changing your behavior, He's about getting down to the root and changing your heart. And if your heart changes, then everything that grows from it will change. If we only find a way to dress up our fruit or, or try to act better on our behaviors and leave our heart evil, filthy, wicked, jealous, envious, deceitful, angry, if we leave our heart like this and fix our behavior, we have gained nothing. All we've done is fooled all the people that are around us into thinking that we're living right and that our heart's right when it's not. And I was really good at that. So it's really important that when we read scriptures like this, that we be very careful. Next line here in your notes. We have to be careful not to twist a scripture to make it say what we want it to say. We can't pluck out a certain portion and ignore the fact that not only did the water in the brook run out, but the oil and the flour both stopped when the famine and the drought concluded. Let's go back and read it real quick. The very end of that passage says, There will always be flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends the rain and the crops to grow again. There was a time limit on this specific miracle tied to this specific act of obedience that God gave. 
and it came to an end. Am I telling you not to sow seeds of financial, you know, whatever in, in ministries? No. If God puts that on your heart, obey. But we cannot create a fake theology out of bending this scripture into saying the sacrifice is actually a payoff. Doesn't work that way. So, if the sacrifice is not a payoff and the sacrifice is not her giving a little last little bit of what she had to make sure what she, you know, the other little bit that she had would never run out. What does it apply to? The widow sacrificed her plan to do what the Lord instructed. I want you to notice something. The widow said, I'm out here gathering sticks. I'm going to build a fire and cook the last little bit of flour and oil that I have in the jar. And then I'm going to die. Her plan led to death. This is a perfect analogy of where our selfish plans that we concoct in the dark places of our heart that have us at the center and everything revolving around us, it, all of those plans lead to destruction. The widow sacrificed her plan to do what the Lord would say. <clears throat> Matt. Okay, so I get the fact that Elijah had to do something crazy. He had to do something kind of out of the box, right? I mean, he's, he's working for God. He's on God's payroll. He's the guy who's got to do the crazy stuff and take the leaps of faith, and he's the one speaking for God. I get the fact that Elijah's got to be the one to, to, um, to, to, to have to hear this and do something nuts, but you're telling me that a single mom... A widowed lady, she now has to step out and do something that doesn't make sense to? Let me uh, put this in a more modern term. Matt, I understand that uh, you as a pastor and Nina and Brian as worship leaders and as Ryan as somebody who teaches uh, the gospel to, to kids and, you know, and, to, and helps out here at the church and all these people that are on our team you know, that do something for God. I get it that y'all are supposed to do like crazy stuff and follow God into these weird unexplained places and submit to him and sacrifice. But are you telling me that just as the guy or the girl who's coming to church or by myself or with my family or whatever the scenario is, are you telling me that God is going to ask me, just the average guy who just comes to the service, they're going to ask, God's going to ask me to do something sacrificial that is not going to make sense? Let me save you from thinking about that. Yes. I even wrote the question in your notes. Will God ask us as believers in Christ to do something that doesn't immediately make sense? The answer is yes. You're going to be flying down the road late for work and there's going to be something that the Spirit of God puts in your heart that says stop and help the guy who's stuck right here. And you're going to go, the devil is a liar. I got to go to work. I don't want to lose my job. Stop and help. 
You may have just ran across Dave Ramsey and got your complete budget all together in line and wrote it all down on a piece of paper and you're about to, you're going to start you know, tomorrow morning, we're going to get on this budget and we're going to stay on this thing. And then you have a family that comes to your attention that desperately needs some help because they're out, their family members out of work. They need some food and you're going, you're going, well, I just got to get out of debt. You do. I need to follow the plan. You do. Um, but if the Lord is compelling you to help that family, Go help the family. It's a Wednesday afternoon. It's lunchtime. You don't get paid till Friday. And you got $5 bill. One $5 bill resting in your wallet. And you're going to go to Wendy's because they have a four for four deal. And you're going to get the spicy chicken, not the other one because it's nasty. And you're going to get orange Powerade because they don't have the blue one. And yes, that's oddly specific. <clears throat> um, you're going to go there and you're going to spend the, four, the, the $5. And you're, they're going to tell you, to, can you pay with your debit card? Because no one has coins. And then after you say no and give them the $5, they're going to miraculously find coins and give them back to you, which is funny. It's a, sorry, it's a side rant. Um, but, and on your way to go do that, you're going to stop at an intersection. And the Lord's going to say, take that $5 and give it to the guy standing there. Matt, are you telling me that I might miss a meal? Yes. Are you telling me that I might have to do without some things I'm planning on so I can help feed that family because the Spirit of God is compelling me and drawing me down that road? Yes. Are you telling me that I might be late to work and get written up because the Lord spoke to me and kind of compelled me to stop and help this guy on the side of the road even though I was late? Yes. All of those things are very small but they are sacrifices. <clears throat> Matt, this is a little bit different than this cultural narrative that I hear my whole life. Like I can go on YouTube right now and find somebody that tells me, you know, come get, put $5 down here under my shoe and it'll turn into a thousand by the end of the week or something, you know, like a preacher or something. Um, okay, well, let's stop all that and go back to God's word. Philippians chapter four, verses 10 through 12. This is Paul talking to a group of believers in Philippi. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Paul wrote the lion's share of the New Testament. He had such a massive conversion experience that changed his life that God used him to literally alter the course of human history by the churches he planted and the message of the gospel that he preached to the people. And that guy is telling all of us, I know how to live when there's food. I know how to live when there's not. I know how to live when there's abundance and I know when there, how to live when there is times of lack. I have learned the secret and the secret is my faith was never in the, the tool of money. It is in the person of Jesus. 
I got to admit that I was tempted um, studying on this one this week to soften the point a little. I was tempted to say doing things God's way may require you to sacrifice sometime in the future. I didn't want it to be so definitive, but as I'm teaching a message called doing things God's way, I was immediately presented with an opportunity. Am I going to tell you the truth or am I going to do what I'm a, am I going to give in to fear because I don't want people to be like, oh my gosh, this is too much. See, if you're a true believer in Christ, you will, not maybe, you will have moments where you need to stand firm in the midst of persecution, ridicule, people calling you names, mocking you, being critical of you, or worse. And what you may have to do is follow the lead of Jesus, and as he's standing there before his accusers, say nothing at all. Um, if I got to say nothing in the face of persecution when I'm being done wrong, that is me putting myself to death. There is a sacrifice in the midst of that. <clears throat> I talked to a man this week named Malcolm. He, uh, he has a little Bible study over, or, over at the little cafe I study at, um, or the Panera Bread, whatever that is. It's, whatever that is, um, a cafe, restaurant, whatever. He has a little Bible study in there when I go on during the week and do my study time and, and I sit there and I, I start up a conversation with him several weeks ago and um, he's actually moving from Arizona to California to start a church outside at a park. <clears throat> and in the summer, I wish I was with him, right? <laughs> like I want to go to Huntington Beach and sit out there and have church out there instead of here where it's 145 degrees. Um, but he told me a very interesting story about um, his college, one of his college professors. Uh, this was more than 40 years ago. He's an older gentleman. And um, uh, he told me this story about his college professor and his friend felt compelled that they needed to do something big and huge and crazy and radical for God. And they felt like in their heart they were supposed to plant a church in Europe, specifically in Italy. Now, um, I don't know if you know anything about Italy, but Rome's the capital, right? And uh, Rome is the first word of the uh, Roman Catholic Church. <clears throat> so the Roman Catholic Church, especially more than 40 years ago, had a stranglehold on what happened in that area. They went there and knew they were going to be up against some opposition to start this Protestant Christian church and not another Catholic church. They're going to go out there and just do, <clears throat> do whatever the Lord put on their heart to do. And they have faced immense opposition from the Catholic church and from the, the leaders in the government who were, who were in relationship with the Catholic church. There was several lawsuits that happened on the way to them being um, approved for their church. They went to the highest court that was available in that, in that nation, and they were eventually granted permission to do the church. But before they went all the way down that road and during the process, they were arrested and thrown in jail. I don't know if you're like this, but I put myself in the scenario like that. And I think, good Lord, what would I have done? 
um, one thing that would have crossed my mind is uh, I already left all my family and friends. I left my career path. I left all my favorite food because all of the food in Europe is terrible. <clears throat> I am <laughs> I'm going to, it's a, the jokes are bad, but the, just roll with me. Um, I've given up all this stuff. I'm fighting this out in court. I don't have any, any idea what this looks like or when this ends or if I'm even going to be able to be approved to plant this church. And now the only thing I had left was my freedom. I have sacrificed all of that, God, and you took all of it gladly, and now you're saying sacrifice freedom to do what I'm about, what you need to be done in this, in this area? I would have had some real questions sitting in that jail cell. Some hard ones. I don't know about you, but the inner thought dialogue in my head would have been like, bro, you missed it on this one. You did not follow the Lord on this one. You heard wrong on this one. Go back home. But the entire time they were in prison, the story piqued the interest of some newspaper journalists. If you're under 30, a newspaper is this thing they used to pass out at every home with all the news in it, and you would read it instead of on your phone. Google it. They're, they're, like in, they're in the Smithsonian, I think. <clears throat> they're because they're ancient. But um, they, they would write these articles and bring attention to what they were doing in Italy, what they were doing with this church. They had no idea that God was going to use the temporary sacrifice of their freedom as advertising for His name. Because when they got out, people who had read the articles came and tried to figure out what are you doing different than the churches that are around here. And in doing so, people gave their life to Christ and a church was established there in Italy because they sacrificed. Who would have thought that their arrest would have been advertising for their church? They didn't know it at the time. They just had to trust what the Lord directed them to do, to sacrifice what He had put in front of them, to sacrifice, to serve His end purpose and not their own. <clears throat> when you sacrifice your plan, your future, your goals to pursue the Lord's direction, you are in essence making the cross of Jesus Christ the central focus of your life, the highest pursuit, and you're leaving the cares of the world behind me. And as I listened to that story, I thought about the next part of that song that we sang as a kid. The world behind me cross before me the world behind me the cross before me the world behind me the cross before me no turning back no turning back number three the last point for our message here today 
Doing things God's way benefits others. Doing things God's way benefits others. Elijah is instructed to go to Zarephath, and he went. And watch how God uses obedience to supply needs. Watch what happens. And the next three lines here in your notes, you're ready? Elijah's obedience gave the widow an opportunity to have her needs met. The widow's obedience gave Elijah the opportunity to have his need met. Their obedience gave life to each other. When we do things God's way, we play a role in giving life to other people. Paul talks about this in the same book, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take interest in others too. When we do things God's way, it benefits other people. And we have a scriptural context here that talks about when we do things God's way, what does it do? Fulfill the two main commandments he answered, that Jesus answered the Pharisee with, is that you love God and you love people. <clears throat> this would be a real great place to wrap this story up with a nice little bow. All this craziness is going on. All this stuff is happening. And Elijah, he went out to the brook and there was a miracle. And then he left and went to Zarephath. Now there was another miracle. And these people of, you know, the widow and her son and everyone has provided for each other. God is using their obedience to provide for each other. And they made it through the famine and the drought, living there and eating food together. Man, end of story, happily ever after. Great ending, right? But as I was, as I was studying and reading and praying on this message this week, there is a very real scenario that I feel compelled to address before we wrap the message up today. <clears throat> Sometimes the decision to do things God's way, to submit, to sacrifice, and serve, will leave us with a feeling of loneliness. <clears throat> See, Elijah delivers, next line in your notes, a profound and miraculous message to King Ahab and then hid by himself. Elijah stayed at the Kareth Brook by himself. Elijah traveled to Zarephath by himself. The widow decided to make Elijah some bread by herself. 
there is a very real portion of time that exists between our submission, our sacrifice, and our service. There's a portion of time that happens after that that we don't see how things will end. How is submitting to you right now, sacrificing what you're telling me to let go of, and serving you continually, how is that going to play out in your plan? Because notice, God did not tell Elijah how any of this ended. He did not tell the widow how any of this ended. There is no um, outline that he gives with a calendar and says, three and a half years, buddy. Just make it to three and a half years and then everything's going to be turning around. Nope. Uh, go to Italy and plant a church. Those guys sitting in prison with no idea how long they're going to be there, not understanding what God is doing. You, faith is a front-end ingredient, and we have to wait till the end to go, Oh my gosh, I had no idea that that simple act of submission, that simple act of sacrifice, that simple act of service had this type of ripple effect in His kingdom. We have no idea how that ends. Zero. We're just called, if we're going to do it His way, to submit, to sacrifice, and to serve. <clears throat> My guess is that there are people that are in this room or that will watch this later or listen to this later who are in the point of, I have done this, Matt, I don't even know why I'm still listening to this stinking message. I submitted. I sacrificed. I'm serving. And I have no idea how this goes, how this makes any difference in life. I don't know how this makes any difference in the world. I don't know how this makes any difference in eternity. I don't know how it ends. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know either. But I want to encourage you not with words of man to go, cheer up, buddy, it'll get better. Because <clears throat> that's not going to work. <clears throat> Let me give you some true encouragement. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or afraid because of them. For the Lord goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. 1 Samuel 12, 22, For the sake of His great name, the Lord will not reject His people because the Lord was pleased to make you His own. Matthew 28, 20, And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Isaiah 41, 10, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 1 Peter 5, 7, Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares 
for you. Right here, we have five quick examples from both the Old and New Testament of the character of God and the promise of God that if we do things His way, if we follow His leading, if we follow His direction, if we follow His word, that He walks all the way to the end with us. And if you are in that in-between space right now, I want you not to be encouraged by anything other than God's promise that he led you here, he is with you in the middle of it, and even though there may be an emotion or a sense or a feeling of loneliness, God has not left you. Cast all your fear and anxiety on him. He is going to walk all the way to the end with you because that's his character his nature that we find in his word if we got into this because we wanted a payoff there's going to be some wild disappointment but if we got into this because I just love him I would gladly, I would gladly give whatever he asks just to follow. It's an honor to be asked to do something because if I am obedient and following him, I am literally a vehicle carrying out his will. I didn't get in and so a bunch of people would go with us. It would be great if they did, right? It's great when you know you're not alone. But the last part of that song that we sang as kids wraps it all up really nicely for me. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, though none go with me, Still I will follow, no turning back, no turning back.